I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. For a lot of folks, President Biden's announcement that he'd forgive a significant amount of student loan debt came as a big relief for millions of Americans. That includes folks here in Middle Tennessee. But how far did this relief really go? Is it enough? And how exactly will it work? Later this hour, we'll hear from former and future students and invite a legal expert to answer your questions about student loans. It's not too late to send those in, so tweet us at This Is Nashville. But first, the Tennessee Valley Authority recently avoided a costly breakup with a local power company in Memphis, at least for now. Here to explain why that is significant and what it means for the rest of Tennessee is WPLN environmental reporter Caroline Eggers. Hey, Caroline. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Okay, so for context, the Tennessee Valley Authority runs all of the electricity in our state and supplies power to local companies like NES. Let's back up for a moment. A few years ago, TVA offered 20-year contracts to those power companies. How did that play out, and what's the significance of that? Yeah, so these 20-year contracts, you know, it makes it pretty hard to leave TVA if you're signing a 20-year evergreen contract. And almost all of the roughly 150 local power companies did sign this contract because that was really their only option. Mm. Okay, so... These local companies, one of them, Memphis Light, Gas, and Water, actually rejected the offer. Why? Yes. So Memphis is unique that it's on the western border of the state. So it is just a few miles from a transmission network. It's the mid-continent or mid-intercontinent system operator. We call it MISO for short. I might be mispronouncing it. Okay. <laughs> but that's a, a regional transmission network that would give them access to um, a big energy market. All right. So it sounds like the relationship between Memphis, the power company, and TVA has been on the fritz for a while. But why did it reach a boiling point last week? That's what happened, right? I'm not sure boiling point would be right at this stage, but it, you know, <laughs> it's pretty... Pretty hairy there, I suppose. Um, Memphis has been considering leaving TVA and accessing a different market through MISO. And um, they just presented, they got bids uh, for different energy portfolios. And they compared that to TVA and presented it to their board last week. And uh, their recommendation was to stick with TVA. Why would them leaving be a potential problem for TVA? Well, uh, Memphis is their largest customer. Mm. So that's um, a $1 billion revenue stream every year. Okay, so you, they ultimately decided to stick with TVA for now. What steps is Memphis taking now? So the next steps is, um, you know, the, the Memphis Light Power and Gas, um, the consultants they hired to review the bids, they gave their presentation. But now that those bids are publicly available, other people are going to be looking at those bids. So the Memphis City Council hired a consultant to look through them. The Memphis mayor hired someone to look through them. Um, some clean energy advocates are going to be reviewing these bids and figuring it out because the in the economics of energy are quite complex and um they are shifting. Um, the market is constantly in shifts. So, yeah, it, there's going to be a lot of review over the next month, and then there will be another vote. So what does this tell us about our state's energy landscape? 
Uh, well, the situation really speaks to um, <laughs> the fact that there's a lot of money in our energy systems. And, you know, this was a billion dollars at stake for TVA. Um, this was an opportunity to make a lot of money for other, you know, clean power companies. So, yeah, it, <laughs> it seeks there's a lot of money. There was there was a lot of lobbying um, from different directions on this case. And, um, yeah, I think we're still figure, <laughs> figuring out what this what this will mean. It definitely was a unique situation. A lot of money involved for sure. So, you know, if Memphis decided or did decide or potentially goes into an, another direction, that would be a pretty significant step for renewable energy. What would that mean for our state? Well, one of the portfolios that Memphis was looking at would have been 75% renewable energy. Mm. And that definitely would say that Memphis itself would be probably uh, definitely a leader in renewable energy. And uh, what that would mean for the state, that's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I reported last week that if Memphis left, then that would probably mean higher bills for the rest of us because TVA would have to make up that lost revenue elsewhere because mm -hmm. that's how they pay for their power plants and transmission lines. Mm -hmm. Now, in other TVA news, the board just voted last week to extend the operation of its largest, the state's largest nuclear plant, which is actually based in Alabama. And you published a story about it this morning. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So <laughs> it, it is in Alabama. Tennessee uh, stretches into seven states, although it's, you know, covers almost all of Tennessee. And um, they have three nuclear plants. One is two in Tennessee, one in Alabama. And this is kind of a preview of what's to come in the nuclear industry, is that a lot of these plants, the average age of a nuclear plant in the U.S. today is about 40 years. And um, TVA's uh, Browns Ferry nuclear plant in Alabama is one of the oldest. Um, it's uh, just five years younger than the oldest plant that's still in operation today. Mm. And, um, yeah, this is going to be the next move is, you know, we want to keep our source of carbon-free power, so we're going to be extending the life of these nuclear plants. So we're going to see a lot of applications uh, to federal regulators to extend the life. Caroline Eggers is WPLN's environmental reporter. You can find her recent coverage at WPLN.org. Caroline, thanks again for being on the show today. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll invite students to share their reactions to President Biden's new plan for student debt relief. Do you currently have student debt? How do you feel about the loan forgiveness plan? What questions do you have? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kalona, and this is Nashville. With about 20 colleges in the Nashville area, it's safe to say that Music City is something of a college town. So when the Biden administration announced a broad new student loan debt relief program, plenty of folks here had a lot of feelings about it. Like Sam Privatera, who graduated in 2020 with about $20,000 in debt. Especially going through 2020 and graduating in the time that we did, like it was a very difficult time economically, especially for people coming out of college trying to find jobs. So I think this is going to hopefully lighten the burden for a lot of people. Carlos Fulmer, on the other hand, has already paid off his student loans, but he said he was still glad to hear the news. But I'm happy for the people that get to have their 
that's paid off. It makes their life so much easier. For Victoria Hensley, this new plan would wipe out her remaining student loan debt, which means she can finally start investing in her future. <laughs> it feels like very relieving. Um, it gives me hope that I might actually, you know, be able to save up for other things other than just, you know, repaying. We wanted to hear more from former students, current students, and future students. So joining me now is Ann Vidra, a former student and graduate of the University of North Texas, current Vanderbilt graduate, Elsie Kendall, and Cookville High School junior, Quentin Ding. Thanks to you all for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Yeah. And so let's start with you. you it's been a few decades since you were in school, right? <laughs> I graduated late 2011. Okay. One decade. One decade. It took me a long time. Let's just say to get my bachelor's, it took me a long time. My parents gave me a good congratulations on your PhD card. Okay. Because it took me that long. All right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, it's been a few decades since I've been in school. Yeah. We'll say that. So tell me, what's your history with student loans? My history with student loans was um, I skipped out on a full ride scholarship because I was not very bright. Which sounds wrong. <laughs> I was given one of those. I lived in Missouri and I was uh, granted a full ride based on my grades and my ACT score. And then I didn't like my freshman experience. So I left after that and went to another school. So then I had to take on loans. Mm -hmm. um, looking back, I would tell anybody not to do that. Um, so I did uh, a couple years at University of Missouri, Kansas City. And then... Um, as I was telling you, I, I was in radio. Um, I did about a 16-year stint in radio. And when I ended up in Dallas, um, I had plenty of time during the day as I was a morning show host to go back to school. Okay. And so I was in my uh, early 30s when I finally graduated. Um, so there was a gap in time. I would say most of my loans were from UMKC. Um and that was in the year like two, 2001, 2000. Mm -hmm. And so, and then there were some more from uh, UNT. So tell me, how much did you know about student loans at the time? You don't know anything. Mm -hmm. I think especially when you're, um, you, you're just shoved into the, here's your FAFSA, fill it out, and then it spits out a number at you. And then you kind of go, well, where do I go from here? Um, and I think I was even less, I knew less because I tried to grow up really fast because I had, I had gotten that scholarship. I wanted to move away from home and I just said, I'll figure this all out on my own. Um, I think a lot of kids try to do that and then they get trapped. So with all that, what was your reaction to President Biden's announcement about the student debt relief plan? So I thought it was great, but I also think, uh, $10,000 is a kind of a silly number when hmm. you look at, I mean, I, for me, it's going to probably take care. It's going to take care of my debt. I owe like $4,000. Um, my husband and, uh, he, he decided to go back to school after having a very long career. He wanted to switch careers, which is something people do these days. Yeah. Um, again, you're not told anything up front from these lenders. And I had to print things out, um, but we're looking at seven, eight percent interest, mm. and every payment we make, the principal just goes up. But there's, 
you know, we've bought a house together. We've bought cars. You get, there's negotiating. Yeah. You don't, what does the student have as far as leverage? Do they have anything? It's a good question to ask. <laughs> now we're going to move on to Elsie. Um, so, you know, tell me your current graduate student at Vandy, how much, yes, how much have you racked up so far in student loans? Um, right now, I think about without the forgiveness, I think about 70 K. Okay. So what was that decision like for you, you know, to continue your education, to take on student loans? Well, yeah. So my undergrad career, I actually didn't have to take out any student loans. Um, fortunately for like, again, like with my grades and stuff, and then also being low income, my undergraduate institution like covered everything. So like coming to Vandy, it was like a definitely like different experience because like being from a low income background, when you see something like loans, you're like, whoa, like I don't want to get like, you know, trapped into a cycle where like I'm supposed to be like continuously paying back, you know, paying back instead of like, you know, trying to do better for your family and stuff like that. And for the sake of yourself. So like I cried a lot about it before I before I eventually was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it. And most of this loan is towards tuition <laughs> and mm. Vanderbilt tuition is pretty pricey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a pretty stressful experience for you. This is after you've received your undergrad. You want to go to graduate school to continue your education, to get um, a specialization, so to speak. And you have this stress. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, boy, it was it was a lot. It was definitely I feel like a lot of the times like I get um, I forget the name of the previous speaker. What was your name? And. And so, yeah, like a lot of the times, like when you're when you're low income and stuff, you don't and like students don't get told about these kind of or like aren't knowledgeable about these kind of things, especially when you don't have like either like parents that went to college or you don't know like any like close family that went to college. And so like you're really thrown out there. And so when it comes to like even navigating financial aid through undergrad was like a particular time. However, very great, very thankful because <laughs> it's definitely different now. It was, I think making the decision was definitely like a very hard and like strenuous decision for me because it was like, well, I do want to go into the field I want to go into like to make a difference in things. But at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> I need somebody to make a difference for me. Hmm. I understand. <laughs> OK, so speaking about that, looks like President Biden maybe made a difference for you. How did you feel about Biden's announcement? How did that resonate with you? Yeah, it made me really happy. I, I will say definitely is. It's not enough, but I will say at least I know for me, it's going to be great. I'm like, if 20K gets to get knocked off for me, I'm happy. But I also know there's other students who have like 20 or 10K and it's going to get knocked off for them. And I think that's great. Like, I think the whole what I hope is that like, you know, now they start to move into a direction that's more about sustainability so that like students that now are going to college don't have to be put into a position where they take out all these loans or like they educate them more about it. All right. You know, we've also got a future college student with us. Quentin, you are a year out. First of all, tell me, do you plan to go to college? I do. Yeah. I'm uh, currently applying to colleges and it's, uh, it's quite an ordeal. 
you know, so tell me, has the cost of certain schools affected your decisions of where you're going to apply? Uh, certainly. Um, I, I would say for my case specifically, uh, I have not had to worry about cost too much. But even for me, uh, there are some colleges to where the tuition is, is just so high uh, that I would you know, not include it in my college list. So how will you pay for school? Uh, so currently I'm applying for a Naval ROTC scholarship. And uh, hopefully if I get that, then uh, the, uh, the military is going to knock off most of my tuition. Mm -hmm. Now, you're from Cookville, which is a re am, relatively yeah. rural area, and the median income there is under $40,000. You know, I'm curious right. about how you and your peers, about how you guys talk about college and the costs it takes to make that step. Sure. Uh, I mean, especially now, uh, you know, I, I talk a lot with my peers about college and, and what our prospects after after high school uh, is. And, you know, for them, a, a lot of them do want to go to college and a lot of them are going to go to college, uh, but they are restricted to mostly in-state schools, um, you know, in most in-state public schools, uh, just for the mere fact that that cost is always an issue, um, you know. And in my personal opinion, a lot of these students, uh, especially from rural areas like like Cookville, uh, they have the ability to go to uh, maybe better schools or more out of state schools, uh, but but they have no ability to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Now, was Biden's announcement something that you all talked about? Sure, uh, it was just brief. Um, a lot of students at, at the high school age are not too politically active, especially in rural areas. Um, but it was a point of contention for a couple of days. Uh, they, a lot of, the general consensus was that the, the student loan forgiveness was just whatever, you know, not a lot of high school students were uh, too incensed on either side about it. It was a, a lot of apathy. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have loans yet. They don't, mm. if you don't have debt yet and you don't have a finance that, you know, if you don't have life that you're living for yet, why would it make sense yet? That's a, it's a lot to wrap your head around as a 16 or 17 year old. That's true. I can sure, see. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. If I you, mean, you know, and again, you can go back to the, you know, you're expecting 16, 17 year olds to, to determine the trajectory of their life and in a couple of months. So it's, you know, it, it's an unfair expectation to, to expect them to understand everything. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about Biden's new plan to wipe out a significant amount of student loan debt. Tweet us your reactions about Biden's plan and your questions about how it could apply to you at This Is Nashville. Now, Elsie, I understand you're studying education policy at Vanderbilt. So the student loan forgiveness plan is connected to your field of study, right? Yes. You know, what questions do you have now that this plan has been announced? Yeah, so we were actually talking about this in class the other day. Is like, even though the plan has been announced, like a lot of the, like, um, I guess, like requirements and stuff around it hasn't been announced. Like, we're going to go ahead and assume it applies to graduate students, but that hasn't been said. Mm -hmm. Or like in my particular case, something I've also been questioning is like, how does it apply to um grad students who didn't have, let's say, debt in undergrad, just like me, but have the debt now? Does that um, does the Pell Grant thing still apply, like where we'll get the 20K or is it going to be the 10K? 
there's just like a lot of like, you know, just like small questions or also just again about sustainability. Like how does this apply or can, is this going, what direction is it going to go for the, like the new incoming students? Like how, um, how will the conversation around debt or like even uh, student loans go with them? Will like something similar be the case? Will like there be a culture shift with the universities? Um, those are just some of the questions that we've been kind of thinking about. So that's a lot of questions, yeah. a lot of questions in there. So, you know, what do you think people misunderstand about student loans? That students want to take them out. <laughs> <laughs> that people want them in the first place. Nobody wants like I, at least for me, I could speak personally. I did not want the loans like I have tried to go around these loans so many different ways. I'm like, hmm, well, if I work this many jobs, no, it's just not happening. And I think that's like the biggest misconception. I don't know if they're also cleared up, but to my like understanding, again, this is something they have to clear up. Some people, depending on when they graduated, could get part of their student loan debt forgiven. And I think that's something like that people don't know. And so they harbor like a lot of resentment around like, well, these people like I had to pay this. Um, how come these students like um, aren't paying, you know, or and not knowing that they may be able to get theirs forgiven. But also at the same time, too, I'm just like of the personal opinion. Like if I I don't believe like if I suffered, somebody else has to suffer like mm-hmm. like, you know, all my debt may not be forgiven, but somebody else's will. So like that's that's nice to me. Like that's that's wonderful. I don't think like education should be gatekeeped in a way to like like preventing someone financially to be able to like study whatever they want to study i have to admit uh point of transparency when i applied for a student loan it was not the college experience i was looking forward to but you know so and you know the cares act yeah it provided your household with you know an opportunity and a break to make making and making your student loan payments yeah how did that freeze affect your household? So the freeze is interesting because it came right when, you know, we had a, uh, we have a little four-year-old. Mm-hmm. So it freed up more money for daycare, which then of course we had to keep our home, our son home more, but more money definitely went into savings. So we were like one of those people this last summer were like, well, let's go on a trip, you know? Yeah. Um, but it definitely made us more liquid, which um, I think a lot of people who undertake a lot of loans can understand because, um, you know, I was just looking at what we were paying. I think I was paying my payments on a lot, not a lot, like two fifty a month, but my husband's was like $600, $700 a month. So you, then you're going close to $1,000. Um, that's a lot. That's $12,000 a year um, that can be put towards home you know, working on your home, towards travel, towards anything. And when you have a child, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being a little bit liquid. And I also, when she was talking about the um, the different policies, we still don't know. Uh, my husband has one of those loans that's forgiven no matter what after 25 years. We don't know if those two years count or not. Okay. That hasn't been brought up at all. And I know a lot of people have those types of loans. We don't know. Are they going to, do those two years count? We don't know. A lot of clarity is going to be needed. Yeah. Now, now, you know, are you both thinking about how you're going to pay for your son's education? Uh, Yeah. Um, We started when he was three years old, uh, the college savings account. What are those called? What are the numbers and letters? Do you remember? 
I don't have kids. <laughs> I cannot remember. There's all these numbers. Anyway, we started one of those, and then uh, our family members put in money when they can with that. So, and I can tell you, my parents didn't do that for me. Um, my husband was lucky that um, he he didn't come from a lot of money, but enough where his parents put him through college. But we've had to figure this out for ourselves. But I look today, and this was an interesting conversation I had today and something to think about for the future. One year of college tuition at Vanderbilt is around $60,000 right now. A friend of mine who graduated in the 70s, he said he walked away from Vanderbilt in the 70s with $7,000 in debt. Wow. That's it mm. for four years of college. So if my son, say he goes to Vanderbilt or somewhere like it, if he were to go right now, today— that would be $200,000. What is that going to be in 15 years? Mm -hmm. So I don't even know that my college fund that I started is going to pay for half of that. It's got to be worrying for right? a lot of parents. Yeah. You know, Quentin, when did your parents begin to talk with you about paying for college? Uh, about four years ago when I first got into high school, um, I, I'm very fortunate in that uh, my parents really value my education and that uh, they told me to never worry about paying for college, but obviously I was going to worry about paying for college. Um, and so really, uh, it's been really helpful to apply to this uh, ROTC scholarship now that I don't have to settle them with that responsibility. And of course, I don't have to settle myself uh, with the financial costs. You know, in the next segment, we have some experts on to explain the president's plan and to talk about the strategies for paying for school. Quinton, is there anything you want to ask them? Sure. Um, I I just want to know whether or not there's a feasible plan to lower the um, the the interest on these loans. I mean, we're we're talking about these loans that may be you know repayable within a lifetime, but once you add on a pretty big annual interest rate. It's almost impossible. So I was wondering if uh, there are any plans to lower that interest or maybe even do away with interest. Elsie, do you have any questions for our experts? Yeah, I definitely would like to um, reiterate the interest part too, like the questions about interest, but also to like, um, how do they apply across like undergraduate, graduate students? And then also to like sustainability, because I don't know if the current policy right now will like be impacting like the, the, the next coming students. So I would also like to know like the things about that as well. And um, I interest, obviously, I, I feel like they ducked a big one with the interest. And also, yeah, students don't have any any say when they come to the table, except for this is how much my parents make. And then you spin the wheel and you get what's given to you. So I feel like, what can we do? What it's it's all on one side. Mm -hmm. So what what can we give back to students who are applying for these loans? It's there is literally no it's not a fair system. So, um, when we apply for loans, you and I as regular adults and human beings for cars and houses, mm -hmm. we can shop. You can't shop. You know, mm -hmm. so so you're asking for more balance, kind of like what Clinton alluded to. Quentin alluded to when he was saying that you know you're asking 16 and 17 year olds to make a decision about their future. Yeah, you want them to at least have a seat at the table when it comes to the financial implications of it that. It seems 
fair, <laughs> right? Fair is a good thing. Yeah. It's a real good thing. That is Anne Vidra. She was joined by Elsie Kendall and Quentin Ding. Thanks to you all for coming on to the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with some experts about the Student Debt Relief Program. There is still time to get your questions in, so tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The Athens of the South, with over 20 colleges and universities in the Nashville area, it's a moniker our city has earned. That means that there are a lot of students in our town who know quite well that college ain't free. In the pursuit of higher education, most of us have to take on considerable debt, and then we spend a lot of our adult lives trying to pay it off. When he was running for office in 2020, President Biden promised to forgive at least $10,000 of student loan debt per person. And last week, he announced he'd see that through for most of us who qualify. How? So, you know, what does this plan, how does it work exactly? Joining me now to break it down for us is DJ Rausa. He is an attorney in Mount Juliet who specializes in student loans. We're also joined by Dr. Celeste Carruthers, labor economics professor at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you both for being here today. Now, Celeste, I'd like to start with you. You know, you've done research on student financial aid and the cost of college. I have to ask this question. What is the economic rationale for having student loans in the first place? Okay, that's a great question. So going to college can be thought of as making an investment in yourself, in your future, which hopefully will pay off with better job opportunities and higher earnings than you would have realized had you not gone to college. Um, but in a kind of fully private lending market, it's really difficult to borrow against those future earnings. So when you take out a loan to purchase a car or a house, the, the car or the house kind of act as collateral in case you can't pay off the loan. But it's kind of hard to have to point to specific concrete collateral in case you can't pay off a student loan. So, so in a private market, lenders would rely on things like family income or GPA, and this would leave a lot of people out, people who could do just fine in college. So this is an example of what we might call a market failure or an underprovided market. Um, the federal government can absorb and smooth out some of these uncertainties, and this is the classic economic rationale for publicly backed student loans. Okay. Now, DJ, you represent people who have a lot of student loan debt and don't know how to manage it. So tell me, what's your, what was your reaction to President Biden's announcement? You know, um, initially, uh, I thought it was more of a delivery of a campaign um, promise. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, a $10,000 or $20,000 forgiveness um, is going to help a lot of people. And, and I certainly applaud that. Um, I also think that the salary caps that that were placed on the forgiveness is incredibly appropriate. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously the backlash uh, is, well, who's going to pay for the $10,000 or $20,000 per family forgiveness? And, and I certainly don't want to get into that debate, but 
But I think there's a, a significant amount of people who are going to benefit this. And I think that there's going to be a significant amount of people who are going to be able to, you know, move forward with their lives with, you know, children and savings and, and, um, and, and that type, type of thing, getting out from underneath this, this, uh, th this student loan debt. Well, what, what do you think the impact will be for most borrowers? Well, okay, so what we, re what we really have to look at is, you know, what, what, what's the average student loan uh, borrow, borrower uh, take out, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be north of $10,000. I think the national average is about $37,000. So if you, if you have $37,000 worth of debt and you get relief of $10,000, well, you still have $27,000 to deal with. And where where I live is in those programs that are available to federal student loan borrowers to get in the right place. For an example, um, when you graduate college, you have about a six-month grace period before your student loans start to becoming due. Um, but once they become due, you have to start paying on them. And so the default payment per month is paying the balance off in 10 years. Um, and so there, therefore, your the payment per month could be significant. Um, and what I try to do is get them into available programs that turn that equation upside down and base the payment per month, not on the balance, but on the household size and the household income. And that makes the payments uh, uh, more affordable. Understand that once this program gets implemented and off the ground, um, if you have something north of $10,000, you're going to be in repayment. And, and, and that's, I, I want to help people be prepared for that. Um, and each individual family, each individual person, their circumstances are very particular to them. And that's why I like to sit down with them and, and really go over all the details about their finances, both present and future and what that looks like and help them manage this debt because absent a act of Congress, the student loan problem and the student loan uh, uh, debt uh, issues for these families is not going to go away. We actually just got a tweet from at This Is Nashville from Ashley Batchelder. She says, undergrad and grad loans are all consolidated into a direct loan for PSLF quality, qualify, right? And she asks, that is, there's no separating this much was undergrad, that much was graduate school, et cetera. DJ, is Ashley really understanding this correctly? Yeah, so what happens is this. So you go to grad school, I mean, or you, you go to undergrad school, and you take out XYZ loans, and it's at a lower interest rate, okay? When you go to grad school and take out a grad plus loan, the interest rate on a grad loan is higher. And then when you consolidate undergrad and grad together, the interest rate then is blended, hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And so with ongoing, your direct consolidation loan is gonna have a blended interest rate. But here's the issue. When you, when you enter into public service loan forgiveness, you have to get away from thinking about the balance and you have to get away from thinking about the accumulated interest. 
because public service loan forgiveness is a debt management tool as well as a debt forgiveness tool. So if you work public service and you make 120 qualified payments in the public service loan forgiveness system, at the end of the 120, the balance is forgiven. So the, and there's no taxable incident. So what is forgiven at the end of 10 years of public service loan forgiveness really becomes immaterial in, in the perspective of the student loan borrower. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. Um, and, and go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. So, so that, that, that's what I mean. So, you know, in conjunction with public service loan forgiveness, you meld the, the income driven repayment plans with public service loan forgiveness to obtain, to qualify for public service loan forgiveness at those 120 payments. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. A lot of sense. Now that 10 to $20,000 of debt cancellation has been making a lot of headlines. Celeste, what yes. are, what are some other aspects of Biden's plan that we might not be hearing about as much? Yeah, thanks. Um, so this is a big plan. It's getting a tons of attention. So it's hard to say that anything is going undiscussed. <laughs> um, but a couple things come to mind that might be under discussed. Um, a, a fair critique of the plan is that it doesn't do anything to a lot. It doesn't do a lot to address like the root causes of high college costs. And by one estimate, we'll be right back to $1.7 trillion in student debt within 10 years. Um, so the White House statement included mention of plans for larger Pell Grants, another go at free community college, and tightened accountability for schools and programs whose, graduate, whose graduates accumulate high debt and are most likely to default. But um, I, the details were kind of fuzzy and the viability of some of these things is uncertain to me. Um, but maybe a second thing that's going under discussed, um, and uh, um, Mr. Rasa alluded to this, the public service loan forgiveness program, PSLF, it has some really time limited changes that's making it more lenient and available to more people and available to more kind of debt that's already been paid back. But um, folks have to apply to that by the end of October if they're in like a qualifying nonprofit or public sector job. And that urgency might be getting drowned out by the kind of uh, the the pause on payments that's that's going on through the end of the December and the the bigger kind of splashier news about the kind of cancellation of ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars in debt, and so I guess this kind of relates both points kind of relate to factors aside from college costs that are responsible for this unwieldy situation that we're in with student loans, which has just been a fairly long history of, kind of dysfunctional administration of income-driven repayment and PSLF and other aspects that are supposed to serve as kind of a safety net when uh, individuals, like their monthly payment is just accounting for too much of their income or they're in kind of a, a job where they were kind of promised that their student loans would be, would be paid off. Mm. And uh, I'd like to see more on plans to just improve the administration of student loans so that future borrowers can have more certainty around what they owe and how they're going to pay it back. You mentioned that we might be in the same place again in 10 years in terms of student debt. In our previous segment, segment, Quentin Ding asked if there's any feasible plan to reduce interest rates on these loans or even do away with interest. What do you think, Celeste? 
Um, I haven't seen any mention of changing the interest rates for the federally backed student loans. Um, last I checked, the federal student loan interest rates were in like the four to six percent range, depending on if it was an undergraduate or graduate loan. Mr. Rasa can correct me on that um, if if I'm wrong. Uh, a private loan can can be lower. It can also be a lot higher, um, be you know over ten percent, and it would depend a lot on um, individuals' credit scores. But I, I haven't heard of, of any changes to the interest rate for these federally backed loans. What will change going ahead is um, aspects of income-driven repayment. So for people who are who have left or graduated from college, when their monthly loan payment you know, accounts for what's judged to be too large a share of their monthly income, their payments are reduced to what will going forward be an amount equal to like 5% of discretionary income. That's roughly half for most people, what they would have been paying under the current income-driven repayment rules. That's and then they make regular payments after, I believe, 10 years. Um, the remaining balance can be forgiven. And speaking of private loans, we got a tweet from Melissa who goes by Mac and me one, two, three on Twitter. Here's what she wrote. Quote, my loan was sold to Navient when I graduated in 2002 by the government. So even though I never had a private loan, I should be eligible for the $20,000 since I also had a meager Pell Grant. Everything I read said it's not eligible for forgiveness because it's serviced by Navient. End quote. DJ, what, tell me, what role does Navient play here? Okay. That's, yeah, I, I understand the, the, the confusion and this is, this is stuff that I deal with every single day. So if you took out a federal student loan, it'll always be a federal student loan unless you specifically refinance it. Naviant is a servicer for non-government held student loans. So I suspect that, um, uh, when this person went to college, it was before 2010, took out a federal student loan because you mentioned that she also took out a Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. So what needs to be done is you need to get out of the old system that existed in 2000, before 2010 and get it into the new direct student loan system. And you do that by consolidation. Once you get your, your old FFEL loan into the direct system, then that opens up all the different repayment, uh, federal, uh, federal repayment options that you have. And I spent a lot of time looking at um, the student loan history uh, of, of, these, uh, of, these of these borrowers to make sure that they're in the right place. And so if, if this person was my client, we would sit down and we would look at everything. And then I would formulate options on how to get these student loans in a better place so they can avail themselves to, the, to perhaps public service loan forgiveness or an income-driven repayment plan or something uh, of that nature. All right, so um, based on what you know now, should Melissa be eligible for that $20,000 forgiveness? If she took out a Pell Grant, even if she's under the old system, my understanding of the announcements last week out of the Department of Ed is that she would be, okay? Okay. And she may not be eligible for some other things, but as far as across the board forgiveness, 
that would be correct because um, the the announcement was it's not going to really matter much whether it's a fell loan or direct loan. You're still going to get the forgiveness. That being said, I would proceed with an abundance abundance of caution. Um, I would get this into the direct system. And when the application for forgiveness comes out uh, next month, they, they're saying that they're gonna roll out mid-October, I would apply for it regardless of what's on the internet, regardless of uh, you know, the, the experts and other, other folks that, that write articles about student loans um, and, 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 see, and see what happens. Um, because understand that this is brand new, it's a brand new rollout. There's no policy for the implementation of this, um, and the timing is going to be a a, uh, uh, a moving target. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the student debt forgiveness plan with attorney DJ Rausa and economics professor Celeste Carruthers. So, Celeste, there's some obviously some confusion about this. Let's back up a little bit. Who is eligible for this plan rollout? So I, my, my understanding is folks are eligible for this debt cancellation and future changes to the income-driven repayment program if they hold federal direct loans, which accounts for like the vast majority of, of student loans, right? Of the student loan balance in the United States right now. Okay. Okay. Now we got a message from Miles on Facebook. He writes that loan forgiveness plan, it does little for the middle class because when it comes to higher education, they make too much to qualify for financial aid, but still can't afford the full costs of college. He also says that for decades after school is over, most of those payments will go just to interest. DJ, what's your response to that? Uh, I want to, would you repeat that for me, please? Well, basically, Miles is saying that the middle class is really in a tough spot with this program and that Biden's rollout is not going to go far enough because they make too much to get, you know, financial aid, but still not enough to afford college. Well, so part of part of the program that was or at least some of the discussion that was rolled out last week was uh, accountability and making higher education, uh, higher education more affordable. Um, and that, you know, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I really don't see how the federal government can dictate tuition um, of a private university or even a public university um, that's run by a state, right? Because of the separation of powers. Um, it's not, it cannot be done by executive order. Let me put it that way. If there's going to be changes to the Higher Education Act, which is the, the body of law that drives student loan lending, it's got to come from Congress. And that, that's really what's going to happen. If it's, it, how it would work is this. If the federal government said, look, it, you can go to whatever college you want to do, but, but if you're going to have this student borrow money from the federal government, Tuition has to be capped at X, Y, Z. Um, and what that looks like, you know, I, I have no idea. Um, and it, like I indicated, I'm a, you know, I'm a consumer lawyer. I'm a, a lawyer for the people. I don't get in, it really get involved in, in how a school actually, you know, runs. You know, I, I deal with after the fact mm -hmm. debt management. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Celeste, we have about a minute and a half left. Tell me, what do you think is the future of student loans in the United States? Uh, I wish I knew. Um, yeah, I really wish, wish I knew. I think um, it, it, it is too early to tell. I'm certainly like re- reserving judgment on my end. Um, but some of these changes going forward may influence how much students elect to borrow for college, uh, may influence decisions about where they want to enroll. Like if I know that the downside risk of taking out a big loan is like half of what it is today, I'm more likely to take risks or take bigger risks in my decisions about going to college. And there's a fuzzy distinction between beneficial risk taking, like getting a college degree and a better and more fulfilling career because of it, and what we might call moral hazard, or going to a much pricier college than I would have otherwise that maybe doesn't have those accountability incentives. Um, because I know I, I'm not probably not going to end up responsible for the loan. Um, and, and to one of your earlier guest's questions about how students kind of don't have any say, um, I, I'll I'll chime in that you know students upcoming, they do have a say in where they go, yeah. where they go to college. And there's more information than before out there about you know, graduation rates and earnings after college for students who go to particular programs. Uh, college scorecard is a great resource for this kind of information. Okay. I want to thank you both for coming on to the show and answering. We got more questions on the table, and I'm sure we're going to get more questions tweeting in. So I want to thank you both for coming in and answering those. DJ Rausa is a Mount Juliet attorney who specializes in student loans. He was joined by University of Texas, Tennessee, Knoxville, labor economics professor Celeste Carruthers. Again, thank you so much for being with us today. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, many Nashvillians know that our city is home to the largest Kurdish cop community in the country. How did it become that way? Tune in to find out. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Alexis Marshall. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and Tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.